0: You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. What's up, everyone? My name is Barnabas Willis. I'm one of the pastors here at Mosaic, and I consider it an honor and a privilege to be able to share God's word with you today. And the scripture we're going to be reading from today is James chapter 3, and we're going to be starting with verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder fresh water. For those of you who are new to Mosaic, we're in the middle of a series called We Were Made for This, where we're taking an in-depth look at what James has to say, who is the brother of Jesus, about what it means to live the Christian life. I personally enjoy the way that James communicates. It's it's both clear and direct and how he unpacks God's word. Uh, And and I just love the the way that he packages it. And I hope that as we dive into it, you'll appreciate it as well. So out from the gate, James hits us with this scriptural billboard in the form of a warning in, in verses one and two. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault is what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So so first of all, let's just start out by acknowledging in one sense, James is talking about people like me people who teach God's word. And, and he is saying that before you raise your hand to, to become a teacher, you might wanna think twice or as grandma always said, everything that glitter ain't gold. And, and so as you can see in the, in the early church, teachers received the, the utmost respect. Even uh, in, in the Apostle Paul's list of, of all the great gifts that were held by those in the body of Christ uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, he, he talks about um, all these gifts and, and, and teachers come second only to apostles and prophets. What was interesting was while the apostles and the prophets typically traveled visiting numerous churches across the region and the world, it was the teachers that remained in the congregations. And they were entrusted to instruct the new converts about the gospel and, and to edify the local church. So this was, not, this was a, a vital role and not only a high calling back then, but even today. But, there are all kinds of teachers in the in the world, right? I, re, I remember my math teacher from from high school, Miss Allen. She was a trip. She would allow us to do breakfast runs. Anybody who was a, a upper with a car, you can go and pick up some tacos for the class and so she was that kind of teacher and what I, what I loved about her is is uh, one day I was, I was running in the school, which you shouldn't do that along with some other guys uh, that attended school with me and, and and to be honest, they weren't great influences. And I remember her saying something along the lines of, you ain't got no business running with them. And and the way she she, she looked at me and the way that she said it was was like more than just a teacher, it was almost like a mom. And you know, I I listened to her because I could tell that she cared. So much like Miss Allen, we, we all teach in some fashion or form, whether inside of a classroom or outside of a classroom, we instruct people in some way. All this to say that from the outside looking in, The teacher was very appealing. This role just seemed kind of glamorous in a sense. And and James wants us to consider the tremendous amount of weight that accompanies it. Everyone who, who teaches will be held accountable for every single word that comes out of their mouth. False teaching, legalism, hypocrisy, were all things that were present in the early church. And unfortunately, are things that are present in some churches in the world today. So in this letter, James is addressing those who longed for the prestige of being a teacher, by reminding them to not forget the great responsibility that comes along with it. So today, James is going to show us something. He's going to show us that we were made to speak life. There are four things I'd like for us to consider today in this passage, and those things are the power of the tongue, the pain it produces, the contradiction it creates, and finally, the purpose of it all. So let's dive right in. Let's revisit the part of the scripture that starts with verse three and goes to the first part of verse five. When we put bits in the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Here James shows us that much like a bit in a horse's mouth or the rudder on a a large ship, the tongue is a very small thing, but it has power to to direct the entire course of a person's life. There are many overt sins that pull at our attention in this world, but James points uh, out, his point is trying to drive home is is that the tongue is a small and so naturally ingrained in in everything that we do that if we're not careful, we can miss it. And, and, and we might miss how significant this is in our lives. Research shows us that, that the average person speaks about 16,000 words per day. That's crazy, 16,000 words per day. Can you believe that? And some of you might be thinking, I got a coworker or a friend or a family member that speaks a whole lot more than that, maybe 100,000 words, uh, uh, 100, words a, a day. If, if that's your spouse, don't look at them, don't laugh. I don't wanna cause no problems. This message is supposed to help you not get you in trouble. <laughs> Proverbs 18:21 says this. It says the tongue has the power of life and death and those who l- love it eat its fruit. So the question comes to mind is of this 16,000 words, how many of them do you think produce life? And how many of them produce death? Over the course of my life, I've personally witnessed firsthand how words have been able to heal and how they've destroyed both by my own words and by the words of those around me. So with our tongue, we have the power to speak life into a situation and we have the ability to speak death into it. And we'll spend the rest of our lives eating the fruit created by the very words that we have spoken. And we will live in the very world that we've helped to create by the things that we say, whether that's in our work, in our homes, social media, and every relationship that we have. Some of us attempt to grasp power in the form of positions at the companies that we work for, or maybe we try to get these decision-making roles uh, in our society, like such as politics, all the while not making it a priority to take the reins on one of the greatest powers in our very own body, our tongue. James recognizes this and is going to great lengths to help us understand the power of our words. He goes on further to describe how significant this small body part is by highlighting the impact or rather the pain that, this, that it has the power to produce in our lives and the lives of those around us. So let's revisit the second part of verse five. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are, are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of daily poison. Well, how about that? There goes your daily devotional for today, everybody. Uh, thanks, James, for all the encouragement. Hey, everybody, every time you open your mouth, poisonous venom's gonna come out. Bless you. Have a nice day. Uh, but also in all seriousness, what James is speaking to is the unbridled, other, other untamed tongue. He says it's like a small spark can literally set an entire forest ablaze. The harsh reality is that if we, when, we, when we speak, if our words aren't, aren't rooted in prayer and purpose, they often end up causing unnecessary pain. They set things on fire in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Why is that? How can this small thing have such an enormous impact? And why is it so difficult or seemingly impossible to do anything about it? There are many things that get in the way of us taming our tongue, but for the sake of time, I'll just list three. The first is simple. It's ignorance. Sometimes we just don't know. We're absolutely oblivious to, to the way that our, word, our words are impacting those around us. And even if we felt like something was off, we wouldn't have the clue or how to even fix it. The second is unaddressed wounds. There's this old saying that hurt people hurt people. And in fact, there's a book with this very title by the name, uh, by, written by a lady uh, by the name of Dr. Sandra D. Wilson. And in this book, she says something that I believe is somewhat profound. She says, when we seek to numb the pain of unseen wounds, either knowingly or unknowingly, with denial or other emotional aesthetics, we inevitably create additional pain for ourselves and for others. Rather than acknowledging the existence of our invisible inner injuries and treating them, we often attempt to distance ourselves from them by deflecting our pain onto those around us. And typically, we hurt others most deeply in the areas of our deepest wounding. Isn't that powerful? How true is that? That that if we're not careful, our pain can produce pain in the lives of those that we care about. The last is pride. Scripture tells us that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. There are simply times where, honestly, we just think too highly of ourselves. Whether that becomes in a form of never asking the right question or assuming we always have the right answers, we often negatively impact the people around us because we refuse to ask for help. Whether that's help from the Holy Spirit or help from the people, God has placed in our lives to make us better. Hopefully now it's a little bit more clear why James makes this bold claim that no human being can tame the tongue. And of course, he's right, we can't. Well, at least not without the supernatural help from God. And just being honest, there have been times in my life personally where I've been careless and, and, and un- uncaring and, and vengeful with my words. I had a dad who, who, who cussed like a sailor. And, and let's just say growing up, I picked up a few things from my old man. And like James said, my dad was beyond a, a straight shooter. He was more like a sharpshooter. I mean, his words were like bullets in a sniper rifle or, or daggers that would cut deeply. I remember moments growing up as a little boy where the things that came out of my father's mouth pierced my soul, creating wounds in me that only God can heal and is still healing even to this day. What if I chose to ignore these wounds? What if I pretended like they don't exist or if they don't affect me in the way that I live today? In those moments where there's just a little bit too much bass in my voice when I'm talking to my five-year-old daughter and the tears begin to well up in her eyes. If I'm not careful, I'll miss it. I'll Make excuses. I won't apologize. I won't repair. I make, and I'll just continue to watch as my little girl grows into a woman, fighting the, the battles that I was too afraid, too arrogant and prideful to face. And so, in, in moments like these, it's 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 easy to, to remember that, or forget rather that. God's called us to address these wounds. But, let's, but what about the, 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 the pride? And if I allow pride to prevent me from, from receiving the, the, the kind of correction, training, and, and coaching Scripture instructs me to submit to, what if I decide that I can be all bad by myself? I'll tell Pastor Morgan, you know what? You don't need to look at my notes, play. I'm not going to send them to you. I'm good. Well, first of all, I wouldn't be preaching on the stage right now. I'm just saying. But but secondly, and and, and more importantly, I'd be robbing God's kingdom of the better version of myself, a man who is willing to to allow the Holy Spirit to steer his words in the direction they should go in order that the passengers on the vessel of my life will hear God's truth in a way that bring them closer to Jesus. So if we're not careful, the pain we create can also produce these unhealthy contradictions in our lives. Let's revisit the verses 9 through 12. Here, Jesus is what James says. He says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. Some translations use the the word bless in place of praise, but the Greek word is the same, which is eulageo. And this means to celebrate with praises or invoke blessing. Now, the word curse, on the other hand, in Greek is is kateronomai, which means to curse, doom, or imprecate evil upon. And when you unpack the meanings of these words, you can begin to see how they seem like polar opposites. And you can understand why James is saying, my brothers and sisters, this shouldn't be. From, by drawing from the Old Testament and the New Testament, James is highlighting this moral imperative that this isn't how God called us to live. That if life and death are in the power of our tongue, then we who are in Christ should speak life. We should speak life over our children. We should speak life over our marriages. We should speak life over our finances. We should speak life over the dead dead things that that they may live. God spoke creation into existence, and we who've been made in his image have the same power to speak life into the things around us in this world. So what James is illustrating in this part of the passage is probably best described as something known as the law of non-contradiction. It's a basic law of really classic logic. And what it basically means is something can't be true and none true at the same time, especially in the, the, the same context. So for example, the chair that I'm sitting in right now can't, can't be made of metal and not made of metal at the same time. It's impossible. Either it is or it isn't. In the same way, James is bringing to light that as followers of Jesus, what comes out of our mouth should reflect who we are in Christ but he can't help but notice something strange, this peculiar thing that he's saying that if that's the case, then why is it that out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing? Jesus tells us in in John 7, he says that whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If we are supposed to be the source of of, of living water, then why are there these, these moments that when people get close enough to us to, to drink from the well of our lives, they find that the water is not as fresh as it looks. In fact, it's more like salt water, and they can't even drink it because it would actually cause them bodily harm. See, we as humans are made of 60% water, and if we were to drink salt water, we'd, we would run the risk of being dehydrated because the, the salt will drain the water from our bodies. In the same way, if we aren't careful, our words are like salt, salt water draining life from those around us. And if we say we love and follow Jesus, can you see why James and even non-believers would consider us to be living contradictions? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a living contradiction. I want to be a living testimony that God makes things the way they, they should be. Now, I know it's easy to dismiss this truth with thoughts like, Barnabas, you just want me to be politically correct, or Pastor B, I just, gosh, I, just want, I don't want to be fake. I just want to keep it real, and, and, I, and that's fine. I, I get that. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of, of candor and, and honesty, but when we're keeping it real, we can't forget to keep it righteous. According to Scripture, we not only have the responsibility to speak the truth, but we also are commanded to speak that truth in love. I'm not saying we shouldn't have these spaces to speak without a filter, to let our hair down, because we should, those, we, those are places and spaces we should create. And it's healthy family, close friends, mentors, are are, are are safe places to do just that. But these, and there are environments, maybe even like the one that we're in now where we don't have the luxury of, of grace, empathy, and trust. And, and looking at where I'm at right now, I'm speaking to many people and, and I have a responsibility, a calling, to be very careful with my words. And even though the opportunities that are laid before me are, are likely different from the ones that are laid before you, you have a stage. For some of you, that might be during your meetings at work with your, your, your coworkers or uh, others is, uh, teaching in a, in a classroom with your student, students. And uh, maybe for others of you, um, how you communicate on, on social media. I, unfortunately, over the, the past few weeks have, have witnessed some painful discourse on places like Facebook and Twitter. To be honest, the most disheartening exchanges I've seen have been between people of faith. From politics to issues of race, I've read messages and posts that if I could choose a word that describes it, I probably would say careless. If you're someone who uses online platform as a way to communicate to and with people, I want to encourage and challenge you with something that James said in the first chapter of this epistle. He says in the 26th verse of chapter one, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. The words of James might, might seem harsh and, and yet it is a truth that should go deep down in our souls. We must also remember that the gospel by itself, is already offensive enough. It doesn't need our help. 1 Peter 2 tells us that that Jesus, being a cornerstone to some, is a rock of offense or, or a stumbling block to those who don't believe. It literally takes me days, sometimes weeks, to write posts, not because I'm a horrible writer, but because giving thought and prayer to my words just takes time. People are watching and they're listening And we should do everything in our power to allow our words not to hinder our witness, to not allow our words to be a weapon, but instead an instrument to be used by God to surgically implant truth in the hearts of others. What this this passage is not saying is that you're evil if you don't always say nice things. However, what it is saying is that if in one moment we can verbally praise and celebrate God, and yet in another moment invoke doom or, or evil on a person that's created in his image, then this is a sign of a heart issue. And God wants to address that in our lives. It's one thing to ask God to put an end to evil, but it's something entirely different to ask God to put an end to people who do evil. God's not asking us to condone or to be okay with injustice and evil in this world. He is urging us though, through the words of James, to not allow evil in the world to corrupt our hearts. For those of you who have been on the receiving end of pain and suffering, I wanna encourage you to use your voice to demonstrate virtue and not vice. That we would pray and believe God that he would destroy evil, but save the souls of those who do evil. That like Saul, by the power of God, the worst persecutors can can become the kingdom's greatest ministers of the gospel, helping to bring about justice and peace. My hope is that what we say with our mouths does not contradict what we believe in our hearts. And this brings me to our last point, the purpose of it all. A couple weeks ago, I made a post on, on Instagram. It was a kind of a shout out to uh, black women, just encouraging them, letting them know that they're beautiful and that they're seen. And I got a few um, likes and comments. And one of the comments was from an old friend of mine. Um, and in the, in the comment, he asked, hey, can we, can we chat uh, sometime the next day? Uh, and as you uh, probably uh, uh, received or understood earlier when I alluded to, that you know, social media has been somewhat unpredictable lately. So my first thought was, oh, what does he want to talk about? And just to provide uh, some additional context, uh, uh, this guy's an older white gentleman uh, that I met about 15 years ago um, while raising um, support and partnership to do campus ministry. Um, and actually he was a cold call. I, I, I picked up a phone book to start calling churches and this guy uh, um, was willing to meet with me. So after that first meeting, we, we became friends over the, the next few years. And, and so when I began to, 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 to think about him, I, I remember years ago How one morning he he woke up and and his wife was not breathing next to him. And there was no history of medical issues. And out of nowhere, she just dies in her sleep. So I drive up to to go to the funeral. And I remember these words to this very day. As we were burying his, his wife, he looked me straight in the eye and he said, God is still good. And I could tell he meant it. So remembering the kind of man that was asking, I obviously agreed to, to chat with him the following afternoon. So we got on the phone and we briefly caught up and he asked if I wouldn't mind sharing a little bit, of, a little bit about my experience in a, in a, in a, as a black man in today's world. I began to share not just my story, but the story of my friends and people who look like me. And before we ended the call, he expressed a genuine grief towards the issue of racism in the world and said he wants to be part of the solution. But in order to do that, he needed to feel the weight of the pain. And that by me sharing my story, taking time, share my experience, it it helped him to do that. I share this story because when I read the final verses of this chapter, it's, it's hard not to think of my friend. And so let's take a look at how James concludes this chapter, starting with verse 13. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. The heavenly understanding that James describes here is rare. And I'm blessed to have people in my life, like the friend I just described to you a moment ago, who live in love in this way. They perform good deeds in humility and that comes from godly wisdom. But what about those of us, which is really all of us, who struggle in this area? Remember what James said at the very beginning of the chapter? He says, we all stumble in many ways. I love how James encourages us to just own it. He he's just to call out the areas where we miss the mark. In verse 14, he says that, that if you're bitter and selfish in your heart, don't boast about it. Or in other words, don't be proud about it, pr- proud of it, like, like God approves of these, these sinful actions, or if we're representing Him well in these moments, don't deny the reality that sometimes y'all, we're just trifling. We're a hot mess. We have to come to a place where we can call ourselves out with the same amount of zeal that we call out others. Honesty like this enables us to say things like, you know what, what I said to you was mean, it was unkind, it was unloving, and it wasn't the way God wants me to speak, and I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? This is the way God's called us to live. You know, over the the past few years, some of the best time I've spent And the energy I've spent is trying to learn how to own my mistakes. Fortunately for us, the ultimate wisdom did come down from heaven in the form of a a man named Jesus. And unlike any other person on the planet, he was all pure, peace loving, empathetic, fully submitted to the father, full of mercy and truth and lived a life that none of us had the ability to live a life that was marked by the fruit of righteousness. Each word he spoke was perfect and there was no fault found in him. But what was his reward? What did Jesus get for all of this? He got death for our cursing. The fires that we ignited were our words and and the heart that was filled with bitterness by us and by selfish ambition, all of it fell on him. By our words, we condemned him and put him to death. But he rose again, not just so we could be forgiven of our sins, but also so that we could be empowered to speak life. I hope that after hearing what you've heard today, you have a better understanding of why your words matter and will begin to speak God's truth over every and into every area of your life. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. God, asking you to forgive us for the wounds that we've created, for the ignorance and unwillingness to admit the power that comes in our tongue. God, I pray that you would just remove those sins from us as far as the east is from the west. But I also pray, God, that we would turn away from those horrible habits. We would turn away from the carelessness and how we speak to others. God, I pray that we would have your words. I pray you would show us how to speak life. I pray that, that from us, from our heart, would come fresh spring water, rivers of living water. God, I pray that as we, as we speak and communicate to the world around us, it would be as if God is speaking to them. God, you are speaking life to them through us. So we need you. We invite you into the, the dark areas of our heart where we need you most. Help us, heal us, make us new. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.